for my cardigan to bunch up. It's like the last week for the cardigans. All right, ladies and gentlemen, so I want to welcome everybody to the Purple Room. Um, Right now, we're on episode 11, season one, and we have a very special guest to the Purple Room. Um, I want to just basically take a step back and let's welcome Mr. Walter J. Tucker to the Purple Room. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was smooth, man. You should do a podcast. They, they kind of, <laughs> so they say I'm Jimmy Kimmel's spirit animal, and then I'm Arsenio Hall at the same time. Yo. Arsenio was the dude, man. He was that I dude. I remember Arsenio, yeah, yeah. He was that dude. I mean, if we want to talk about platforms, how important it is, and even speaking with your platform, Live the Biz, yeah. um, it, it could either make or break a career in a positive way. Yeah. Um, so usually we'll do like this whole aspect where we start off with like, where did you start from and mm-hmm. where are you going to end up? But I want to do things a little bit different. Okay. Let's flip it on its head today. Let's flip it. What's your thoughts about platforms? And with Live the Biz, it being one of the biggest platforms in the indie and the more professional market yeah. on... The aspect of, all right, cool. We got people that's in front of the scenes and behind the scenes. And yep. you guys have helped facilitate jobs and opportunities through that. Yes. What made what what um brought you into platforms? Put it that way. Sure. Well, we can go back to how Live the Biz was launched. Um, so I've been in New York for about ten years. I feel like I guess I'm an official New Yorker now, which is kinda weird to say. You're blessed then. <laughs> You're good. You're good. Yeah, I'm from Virginia, so it's a little bit weird. Um, but I still read VA all day. Shout out to everybody out there. Um but no, so um, just been in the industry for the past 10 years, working in New York City, uh, working in different music publishers, um, Harry Fox Agency, um, working with Sherry Lane Music, BMG, ASCAP, just uh, doing analytics through Nielsen for Warner Music Group. So I've been doing a lot in the music industry, and then and simultaneously I was teaching, I, I still teach um, a music business class at the Metropolitan College of New York. So I would spend pretty much all day working with writers, producers in the mainstream, and then teaching about it uh, at night at college. And so I thought, you know, what is a, a great way I kind of can merge both worlds together? Like, how can I be able to kind of feature some of my friends who work in the industry and who do different things in different positions while educating a larger audience than just a classroom setting? And so that's how I started Live the Biz. Um, and I thought it would be a great opportunity to merge both of those worlds, the educational world and the mainstream music world. Um, and so since we've been doing it, I mean, uh, we mentioned before, you know, we've had people create businesses and, you know, get jobs and meet their managers and producers through our platform. Um, and right now we're about over 1,500 members. That's awesome. Yeah, and we just launched uh, November 2016. So, I mean, you know, 10 music panels, A&R uh, panels, marketing, music video showcases with Microsoft, mm-hmm. um, shuffle play music feedback sessions where we have people from Atlantic Records and Rock Nation mm-hmm. and VH1 give feedback to artists and producers. So, mm-hmm. and I'm talking a mouthful here, but it's just been an amazing journey. Uh, I'm mean, just getting started. You're, so. you're on the mark with it, Walter. Yeah. And I mean, like, let's look at it this way too, right? Yeah. There's an emphasis that you put on platform, but you had mentioned something as well, education. Absolutely. So, I mean, one thing we had a conversation a little bit about um, what education means to us and like the platform that um, where your education, where you come from. Yeah. So you're from a formal form of um, like education. Yes. Okay. And then when it comes down to like your platform, you guys are bringing people to an intersection of getting information. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like it's the right way to kind of do it or it's like whatever way gets you to what your, your passion is? I think it's whatever way works. I think people are different learners. And that's what I've kind of found even in teaching in a classroom setting. Some people are visual, some people are audio, mm-hmm. some people are more hands-on, some people mm-hmm. need to read something down. Um, so I really it's about how you learn 
And, you know, if there's a, there's executives that are senior vice presidents that never stepped a day at a college, so <laughs> you know, so um, and then there's music producers who are more creative that, you know, went through the traditional setting sometimes and sometimes it's vice versa. So it's kind of however you get it, whatever your your learning style is, I think works for you. So there's no really right or way. Mm-hmm. As long as you get the message, I think mm-hmm. education is education regardless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, with the people that join the platform and stuff like that, right? Um how do they usually uh, join up, or how do you really, how do you build the network? Is what I want to ask you. Sure. So a lot of our members, so there's there's different tiers of memberships. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much, if you go to an event and you pay for an event, you come out and network. You're gonna be a member. <laughs> uh, you get a free membership. That's awesome, yeah, you're a free membership. Where basically you just a part of our um, networking email networking group, which mm-hmm. now has so many people. Oh my gosh, it's insane um so you become that part and then you can be a premium member where you can pay a monthly a monthly or annual fee we can get like video courses um about the music industry mm-hmm. you attend all of our events for free um you get vip access we promote your music on spotify we promote your music on youtube we mm-hmm. give you album reviews we give you one-on-one a and r consultation so there's so many other things you can do so it's kind of like the basic free model and then there's like the pay model we can get more in depth so, um, and that's how people become members. A lot of it has been our events. Our events have kind of been like the shining beacon <laughs> of, of kind of what we do. Right. Uh, people are the most excited to meet people and network. And so it's the most exciting for us to do that. Right. Yeah. And, and Walter, um, with you, I mean, I didn't even notice that you weren't a New Yorker born and raised, but you are yes. an official New Yorker. I guess so, man. <laughs> you, know, you, you are one of us. Yeah, I love New York. I mean, my parents are from New York. You know what I'm saying? My mom is from Harlem. Mm-hmm. You know, my dad's from Brooklyn. So, and they met me in Virginia and I've just... It's kind of the life I've known just being in the South. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know I wanted to be a New Yorker since I was like six years old. Mm-hmm. I saw a Boomerang. Man, I was older, I was Ooh, older than that. You brought it back to the Eddie Murphy when, when era, the Boomerang, I think Boomerang came out before, after I was six. Boomerang came out with 92, 93? Boomerang was 1990. It, it was? It was 1990 on the mark. Wow. I was born. <laughs> I'll, take, I'll take your word for it. And when I saw Eddie Murphy. 1990 or 1991. It's something somebody, in there. It's the early 90s. That up for us. When I saw Eddie Murphy. Black brother, mm-hmm. you know, dressed up with the ties and all that, walking down the street Running with the his coffee own cup. Firm. Yeah, and I didn't know what he did, but I saw a nice apartment. He was likable, dude, smart, mm-hmm. you know, culture. I said, I wanted whatever it is. I want to have that experience. That. And since that point, I know I want to live in New York. It's so crazy you saw that because even being a young kid, <laughs> being serious. a young kid seeing that, I'm like, all right, cool, something to strive for. But you know what? I fell in love with Boomerang. Yeah. It was actually the soundtrack. Oh, come that, on. That paper doll track? Yes. The brother, he passed away. God rest his soul. All of um, it. AM, PM, PM Dawn. Oh, Die Without You is one of my favorite songs ever. It had a great soundtrack. Y'all should check out the Brandy and Ray J uh, remix, though. Mm. That's fire, too. People be sleeping on Ray J's vocal skills. But that's fire. But that whole soundtrack, uh, Give You My All with Tony Braxton and Babyface mm-hmm. uh, is fire. Love Should Have Brought You Home Last Night with Tony. I think, I think Tony Braxton was introduced through that soundtrack. She dominated the whole soundtrack. Yeah. her. Tony, yeah, she was like 60% and then PM, PM, AM, PM Don. That was yeah. a huge song for them because they had the, the both of their albums. Right. So that was the single for the soundtrack and for their project. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. So, so basically what you're saying is um, an Eddie Murphy film is what gave you like your initial yes, gravitation in yes. New York? Yeah. I mean, because there was so many other films. Like there was like New Jack City. It was like, uh, yeah. I don't know about New York. There was Juice. <laughs> <laughs> there was Juice. Like, there was oh, some other movies. Super rough. <laughs> yeah, but I remember seeing that in Strictly Business yeah. um, with Tom, Tommy Davidson. And those two movies, I was like, yo, like when I get older, I want to work in New York. I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And then yeah. once I discovered music, like, okay, I can do music in New York. Like that's my reason to live in New York is right. to work in the music industry. So... 
Yeah. I've never heard somebody bring up that <laughs> approach as to why. I've heard like, all right, you know, it's a city of big dreams, or I come from a small town of no. like Apaloka, La Palosha, no. and I'm here, like, like no. spot on. That's why. Just that's, that I knew, and that was my goal. Since like seven or eight, I was like, I'm going to live in New York, cool. and that's exactly what happened. Cool. <laughs> so even back to the humble beginnings coming from VA. Yeah. Um, like, what was like the culture, like the music scene around that time? Oh my gosh, um, incredible. Mm-hmm. Incredible. So I come from what they call the Hampton Roads area. So I was born in Portsmouth, Virginia. Um, so Portsmouth um, is home of so many different artists. Um, Missy, Timbaland, Pharrell, The Clips. Um, yeah, if you know them from Virginia, they're probably from my area. <laughs> um, and so in the seven cities, there's seven different um, counties. So there's like there's Portsmouth, um, Chesapeake, Virginia, mm-hmm. Beach, Hampton, uh, Norfolk. Yeah, Suffolk, all that, Newport News, all that. So when you live in that area, there's like it's like a small version of New York. So if you lived in one area, you probably lived in another. So if you were born in Portsmouth, you may have lived in Chesapeake. Or if you lived in Chesapeake, you lived in Virginia Beach. Mm-hmm. And so that area was just such, it's such a, a fusion of so many different styles and platforms. And I mean, we're a big military town, so people would go to different countries and bring back some of that flavor, and we kind of create our own time, thing. Time, right, yeah. So you, when you see Pharrell, and he's like a skateboard rocker who raps and does hooks. That's the fusion that we saw. Mm-hmm. Or you see how Missy and Timlin are so like animated, but they can produce their own records and then they talk over tracks that they produce and they write. Like that's the Virginia style. We kind of just, it's like gumbo. Mm-hmm. We kind of take from different facets and then we kind of make our own thing. So the music scene was incredible when I was growing up. Oh my gosh, like NERD, the clips, Missy, like even with Teddy Riley with the whole rump shaker, mm-hmm. that whole era was, he, he, he moved to Virginia Beach. Mm-hmm. And that was just our whole vibe, man. But I love, I love Virginia. That's the first time I've heard somebody from that era um, give credit to like the military baby lifestyle. Yeah, Norfolk. Norfolk. I mean, Norfolk is, I think, one of the biggest uh, navy um, in terms of just personnel mm-hmm. in this in the country. So I that was our that was kind of like your plan. So if you lived in Virginia, you either were going to be in the navy, you either going to be in the air force in Langley. Mm-hmm. Um, or some type of retiree in the military services. And mm-hmm. so that was almost like my life. I was going to go into the Air Force mm-hmm. um, at one point. I had like four years of ROTC. I had like the high-ranking commander, mm-hmm. <laughs> all that stuff. And that was kind of going to be the path. Like I was going to figure out some music, but I was going to go into the military, mm-hmm. and that was going to be it. Mm-hmm. Go into the, well, I was going to go into the military, go to school, to do Air Force ROTC on a college level and then become an officer in the Air Force gotcha. and then do paper, probably like aeronautics and something like that afterwards. And even so. with the Virginia area, yep. like, um, because you had brought up a point about um, with Missy Elliott, yes. um, Timberland, yes. the nerds, but even back to like Missy Elliott and um, Timberland, actually the way that I heard of them mm-hmm. was through um, Aaliyah. Yeah. In, like, earlier days. I mean, God rest her soul. Absolutely. But when it came down to people that were behind like the whole mastermind of like yes. some parts of her career. Yes. They deserve a lot more credit when it's, when it's based upon that. So funny story, a lot of people may not know this. And shout out to Aaliyah. Aaliyah is like our honorary Virginia star because she spent just so much time there. Mm-hmm. If you look at Up Jump to the Boogie and that whole style, like you, she was kind of like us embodiment. But so Aaliyah actually, from just my research on her, she obviously was discovered by R. Kelly. Right. Um, you know, and <laughs> right. A couple of, couple of songs that did great. Um, but she kind of wanted her own sound and wanted to break away. And so when she heard Missy and Timlin doing the things with SWV mm-hmm. and Gina Thompson and some of the other acts that came up before her, she wanted to have that sound. And her, I think her label was against it. 
they were like, no, they don't have big enough songs. We want to put you with the, I guess, the Rodney Jerkins and those kind of people. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? She was like, no, like she fought for Missy and Timlin to work with her project. Mm -hmm. Um, And that together made them all mainstream. Mm Because if she wouldn't have fought to have them, who knows, we may not have had Timlin and Missy be these incredible mega stars. And Aaliyah may not have had that signature sound that we know her for. Mm -hmm. Um, But Aaliyah, I loved Aaliyah. Aaliyah was, I had the, the biggest crush on her. I did too. Yeah. I, I was such an Aaliyah fan that when they called me when she passed away, like I didn't believe it. I had like I don't I'm not really starstruck, but yeah. when she passed, it was like chills that went through my body. Yeah. Like, it was weird. Like, I didn't I didn't want to believe it. I literally had the poster up on my wall. And I'm a dude, you know what I'm saying? So like <laughs> I got a Aaliyah poster on my wall. Like that's how much I was just in love with Aaliyah. And when I saw that on MTV News, I was like, Oh my God, right. like at the peak of her career is Crazy. Right. So crazy. So even back to your humble beginning. So yeah. you told us visually what gravitated you towards New York or the big city. Yeah. But what actually got you into, like, I guess you could say the transition actually live here and work in the city. Was it through school? Or? Sure. It was all through school, man. Like okay. I said before. Where my, did you go? So I went to John C. Smith University. Okay. In Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, it's an HBCU down there. It's fire. Shout out to my Golden Bulls. HBCU. Yeah, I love it. Um, and so what happened was I picked that school because they had a music business program and they had um, a partnership with UNC Charlotte for the Air Force ROTC program. Mm-hmm. So I was going to like do the Air Force thing and then try to figure out how to do the music stuff. So that was the plan, right? So freshman year comes and then it's like the war on terror happens. <laughs> So how it worked back in the day was you would be in the military, you do your little basic training, you go your weekend, and you're straight. You get right. your salary, you get your money. You right. didn't really like have to right. go out there. You ain't, yeah, you didn't really have to go out yeah. there and do nothing crazy. When that world <laughs> happened, it was like they sending you over there. <laughs> like, what's your done with basic training? Sorry, yeah, what's your done with basic training? Oh, he got the transformer, the transformer. Uh, it's like a transformer. Once you're done with basic training, at that point, they could send you over there. And so I was meeting different students at co- in college who would, you know, they would sign up for the four years. So basically, the, the military would pay for your four years of college, mm-hmm. but you had to serve for four years. But you have, you have to serve in between that time. So you could go away for four years and then come back and have to finish the rest of your three years in college. Mm-hmm. And so when I was seeing it, I was like, I don't really think this is for me. Um, and then once I started doing my music business internships, I was like, oh, no, like, I don't want to do anything that's going to, like, jeopardize me not be able to, to be in the music business. I'm the only son. Um, there's, there's so many different ideas. I didn't realize you could get an internship and work for a record company. I didn't know that that was a possibility. And so I want to spend all my time just, like, doing that. Like, I don't – Air Force is cool, but it was kind of like a thing. I, I felt like I had to do it because of, like, where I'm from and my hometown and trying to build a legacy – but I'm like, yo, I'm seeing Dame Dash on TV. I'm seeing the Irv Gotti's. I'm seeing, you know, Puff Daddy, um, Diddy. But I think it was Puff Daddy. Just seeing these people, I'm like, yo, I want to kind of be like that. Like, and, and, and kind of how they could have do it. If I could be in college and do it and maybe learn more than, than maybe they did at that time, mm-hmm. I could even get the baton and go farther. Right. Um, so that's what inspired me to do it. And so that from doing that, I did internships with... Um, like Neptunes and Warner Music Group and ESPN. These, these are things while I'm in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. And then what changed my life was my summer internship in New York, right? Mm-hmm. First time in New York City. What year was that? Because I, I, it'll give me yeah. the atmosphere of so what the, was going on. My last year of college, this is 2007. Okay. I was staying in Flatbush. 
So that was, I, that was like when gentrification was about to hit. Yeah, man, it was like gentrification. I saw it coming from the plane. Like I was yeah. landing. I was like, oh, gentrification is all right down there. <laughs> so what's, up? what's up, G? Um, so I had so I lived in Flatbush. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, this is great. You know, my first time in New York. I'm only an hour and a half away from the city. This is fantastic. Uh-huh. <laughs> right? Right? So, so I got an internship at Sirius. This is before Sirius XM had even merged. Yeah. Um, this is Sirius. And I was like, this is great. Um, so I got this internship. I pretty much, so I worked from June to August. Mm-hmm. And I was just so in love with the culture. And just the, I feel like there's more people here like me. Like where I was from, it was kind of like I was like, you know, it's a couple of dudes on campus doing their thing and some people back home. But this was really like an area I thought I could compete. Like this is New York City. Like I could compete with people who are doing this, you know, every day. And so in working at Sirius, it was just such an eye-opening experience. I did music programming for them. So I would be responsible for cutting up the music and airing it um, during like the Monday, to, the, the uh, morning to afternoon shifts. I turned that one internship into five internships at Sirius. So I was just, I just was assigned to be there Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for music programming. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, there's more time in the day. I started interning with the Jamie Foxhole channel uh, at Sirius, mm-hmm. doing like public relations. Um, I met Melissa Ford. Um, shout out to her, Melissa Ford. You know, popular video vixen or whatever businesswoman. She did her thing with her platform at Sirius too. Yeah, she. Uh, she Angelie. Angelie. Angelie was at the same there. time. Lip service. She was there. And matter of fact, Melissa Ford. I believe was even bigger at that time than Angelie. Wow. So I ran into Melissa Ford in the, in the cafeteria and Sirius. I was like, Hey, I'm a big fan of yours. I'm trying just to look directly at her because mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> I was like this woman is just incredibly gorgeous and I was saying you know if you need any help with anything let me know or if I can maybe shadow you one day to see how you do your show mm-hmm. so she was like why don't you shadow me now I was like cool right, okay <laughs> I'm with it so she was like anything interesting in the news I was like um I just heard that 50 Cent and Sierra could possibly be dating I just read it on a blog somewhere she was like okay let's go with that she gets on air and she says hey y'all big breaking news um, I just heard from the street that Beyonce and not Beyonce <laughs> that Fifty Cent and Sierra um, are dating. So just like that, you became a content contributor. Yeah, she just <laughs> said it like on air and like for the thousands of people because right. I just told her that and I was like, oh my gosh, like I hope Fifty don't come looking for me <laughs> some way. So yeah, but that was such a dope summer. I worked with Howard Stern's team. Um, if you ever been in a serious, yeah. there's I heard, I heard yeah, you can learn a lot from Howard Stern. Yeah, he's he. Well, I actually didn't get a chance to meet Howard. I met his people. If you know about serious, so serious, you need three badges: a badge to get into the building, a badge for serious, and a badge for Howard. <laughs> Howard Stern, he has his own elevator. It's like some How, super. Howard is serious. He's like the like the White House inside of a building. So I was basically responsible for cutting up all his old shows from the 70s, mm-hmm. his college shows, and putting them on, on air. So I had, like, my own office. It was great. So the humbling part was that Sirius wasn't going to pay me a stipend until the end of the summer, which means I was going to be broke for three months. Right. So I had to get a job while I was interning, right? So I'm interning at Sirius from, like, 9 to 3. So it's, like, 9 to 5. So I found a job at Buffalo Wild Wings because no other place would hire me. Like they were like, you're a college student. You can't work during the day. What are you going to do? So I'm like, you know, I have a college. I almost have a college degree. I've been so many different internships. Mm -hmm. I could just get a job easily. And for four weeks, I couldn't find any work in New York City at all. And I'm like, I'm losing money. I could barely get my hair shaped up when I had hair. Um, All this (laughs) stuff. Right. 
So I get a job at Buffalo Wild Wings. It's at Atlantic Station in Brooklyn. At that time, it was the only Buffalo Wild Wings in, in the New city York, yeah. at that time. Yeah. There was I, one in Long Island, and there was yeah, one right there. I was getting cussed out in eight different accents a day. They were trying to haze me on the job. They wouldn't bring my food. So I'll be, I was being called Mr. Tucker and had my own office and all these things that serious, you know, dinner with Jamie Foxx and Melissa Ford. And I go to Buffalo Wild Wings and, and they treat that, me like yeah. 12 years a slave, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so it was very... How did you do yeah. with that contrast? Because <laughs> it was very it takes a lot of humility to actually go through, all right, so one day I'm a boss and then when I'm going to this situation, it's like... In the same day. <laughs> in the same, same day. day. It just I just wanted it. I was like, listen, I'm here for a reason. I'm only here for three months. I need to make the most out of this. So I was like, I need to finesse this opportunity to, to really just expand what I'm trying to do. And if I got to be at Buffalo Wild Wings and, and give up potato wedges and give people extra ketchup... Just to stay here, that's what I have to do because I can't, I can't fold. Um, and this opportunity is just too good to waste. And so I just humbled myself and was like, I'm going to just rough it out. So, but it was, ooh, man, it was some crazy days. That's a a testament (laughs) to your character, though, because of the fact like you had so many opportunities ahead of you. Yeah. But this is what you had to do on a day-to-day basis to pay your bills. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I'm sure that wasn't your first experience with a humility, but when I hear that, I'm like, wow. Oh, it was a struggle. I see other individuals that go through that same transition that you come from VA, going to college, coming to New York City. Yes. And um, with their, um, how can I put it? their mindset towards like the opportunities at hand is like that takes over them. Yeah, it could be a lot, but you have to really want it, man. And um, and I really, really wanted it. Um, and it's just, I knew this was my opportunity to make it happen. And if I didn't have that job to get that money, I wasn't going to be able to survive to eat anything. I was eating right. like oodles and noodles, ramen noodles for those, <laughs> what the proper term, <laughs> eating those every day and like going to Candy's fried chicken and, and, oh, for $5, I could get five pieces of chicken, fries, ice cream bar, mm-hmm. <laughs> a soda, <laughs> you know, like like real talk. Because right. I knew that there was a um, a longer path. There was more to it than just this moment. This is right. just temporary. But if I can make this happen, then this will be easier for me to kind of transition to New York once I graduate. Mm-hmm. So I had to get it, man. Well, the one yeah. thing I love about you, Walt, is the fact yeah. that it comes down to more or less your acumen it's yeah. like you were at a place in the music industry kind of like when i came in yeah like a lot of our guests on the purple room I love all of our guests <laughs> they have a really long trajectory where they were like in the 70s to the 80s <laughs> to the 90s up until the thousands, up until now so we get that long trajectory <sighs> but with you it's like you came in at the point in time when i not really fell in love with hip-hop but i started working in the music game yeah it's like 2007 2000 man. when kanye was like at his zenith yeah they took they took they sucked it dry man right. I, I, can we keep it real on this listen so when kanye came out the college dropout came out my freshman year of college came out of 2003 so imagine being like on a college campus listening to kanye west you know what i'm saying come out and 50 cent dropped at the same time he around did. the same time so i'm on he college did. Listening to the college dropout, him talk about, you know, registering for classes and pledging. Like, I ended up, I pledged um, my sophomore year. Shout out to um, Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. Yeah, the first. Um, So, yeah, so just going through that experience and every year watching the music industry just change so dramatically every single year. Before we went in, 
it was big CD sales, and Nelly would come out with one song and would go platinum, platinum. in go 20 platinum. minutes, you know, and CDs were just flying off the shelves. It was TRL, it was Monsters Apart, it was so much content. Perfect placement. And every year, they just took so much. It was like the, the MP3s came, and then, you know, Napster, illegal downloading, CD sales declining. Um, reality shows became, you know, more profitable. So you had to make it into band stuff. And it just was such a dramatic change. The million dollar videos started slowing up mm -hmm. and I came out of college and I was like, what happened? What's like, <laughs> yeah, what happened to like the big, big era? It was like the recession and it was like CDs right. aren't in and people got Kazaa. And if it, we, it, if we wanted to speak about a case study as to what happened, yeah. Um, Obviously, it was a big shitstorm that took place. Yeah, very we much so. <laughs> Actually, this is my platform. We can curse on this platform. Hello. <laughs> but um, if you want to speak about like the analytics of it, if we want to yeah. observe, um, I think um, a lot of like the majors were late to the party. Oh, that's for sure. I mean, them not investing in the technology, um, them, and I'm saying them as a collective, the big four at that time, really not taking downloading serious in terms of the digital platforms, and not just distribution, but also marketing. So ignoring the Napsters, they could have bought Napster. They could have been ahead of the game in terms of controlling how people share files and how people share content, especially with MP3s, and that didn't happen. Um, they could have helped utilize and figure out ways to monetize digital content. Mm -hmm. That wasn't happening because... Listen, they're making millions of dollars off of CDs. They're making millions of dollars off of these videos. Why change something that they feel works? Exactly. They would have, they would spend so much money on videos. Think about it. It would be a video about being in a club. Mm -hmm. It'd be $5 million directed by Hype Williams. Mm -hmm. They'd have a behind the scenes documentary. There's making the video. It's perfect placement. <laughs> you know? I've, I've observed that mastermind. And if you want to go back to like that whole trajectory, it was like this. The singles release. Yes. Make that appearance on 106 and Park. Yes. Or TRL. Making the video. Or making TRL. Video. Direct effect. Don't, yes. Can't forget, can't forget direct effect. Direct effect. With La La and um, Clue. La La and Clue. And then you get the um the making of the video on both platforms. Yes. So we'll wait to actually watch the making of it. And then they premiere it. And then what happens the next day? Album drops. Yeah. It was, Perfect it was, placement. The whole thing. And so they ignored all of these rising things. I feel like if they would have really took a notice of just like the downloading and the mp3s and just that whole wave we would be in a much different place right now we'd be a completely different standpoint the fact that we have to as the industry negotiate with youtube in terms of licensing the content that we're creating <laughs> is like so almost so bizarre um and by all means youtube is is incredible in terms of how they that they you know showcase mm -hmm. artists but the fact that we're having to have that well we could have had our own youtube we could have had our own Napster. We could have had our own file sharing Possibly. company. I mean, it all depends what side of the spectrum you're on. Exactly. But I've, I've noticed with that whole dialogue, what it really came down to is that yep. um, the technology was brought to like the big wigs of that side of the industry. They didn't understand it. So instead of embracing it, they threw a lot of legislations at it. Yeah. Let's throw some lawsuits at these guys. Oh my let's try to send some cease and desist. Let's sue every person downloading music. Right. So then when it started <laughs> to make sense as to how we can monetize it through streaming companies, yeah. you know, kind of like the Apple Musics, the uh, Spotify, yeah. the Purple Thrones, you know, different Hello. platforms and stuff <laughs> like that. <laughs> Pop it. You know, um, now it's like, all right, now that we have more or less the lion's share of the stick, it's like now the ball is in our court. Yeah, and it's, that whole suing everybody who downloads thing didn't work at all. They could have saved all that money and created another music format. Mm -hmm. 
you know, in college, my senior paper was about creating another, a new music format that would be harder to steal. I was actually describing a stream and I didn't even realize it. So I said, in order for people to, this is in 2007, I wrote this. In order for people to listen to music, they would have to like sign up to uh, an app. I don't know what I call that at the time. I call, I call it a program mm-hmm. um, to put your email address in. You wouldn't be able to share content without your email address and your, your IP being attached to that share. Mm. And I believe I call it an MP5. Um, and it was to protect it. Because I felt, I felt like this. In music, we say, like, think of a child. If a child, like a, a child wants candy. And we say, the child's right here. They can grab the candies right here. And we say, I'm going to punish you if you keep touching that candy. Right? You can't have this candy without asking me. But you keep grabbing this candy without my permission. So every time you grab this candy without my permission, I'm going to punish you. Mm-hmm. I said, that's how the music industry is. My philosophy would be take the candy and put it on the high shelf mm-hmm. so that the kid can't reach it without asking you for it. Mm-hmm. Invest your money into that. Stop trying to pander to people who want to steal content. So Say, invest your cr- money in the process of that child taking the it. initiative to grab it. Yes, to, mm-hmm. to the point where it's not easy to reproduce. It's not easy to share. Right. The file, you can't just email to someone. You have to. There's, because people won't steal well, should I say this? What stops people from stealing is when they, they can't do it. It's, or it's hard to do. It's hard to steal TV1 content. Mm-hmm. I'm sure somebody could, but it's hard to try to figure out which cable server to get to get TV1 to go to my, to go to my TV. Right. It's easier for me just to pay for it. Right. And if music is thought in that same concept, you'd have more people paying for, for music. But if we keep saying, well, let's make some of this free and let's do this and let's do that. Let's have a freemium model. You're just training people to get free content. (laughs) It's going to be harder to convert them to paying, which delays payment to content creators. What I've learned in different aspects of just observing the industry is that um, if you don't give it value, it'll never get it. And that's where we give it away for free, they're going to treat it like it's free. Simple as that. And that's why people don't value music. That's why the average consumer does not value the process it takes to make music. There are millions of independent artists who spend thousands of dollars to give away music. And there's different ways to combat it, and there's different solutions that have been popping up probably in the past week or two weeks. Yes. But the one thing I've noticed, um, especially doing this podcast, is the fact that um, blockchain technology has been kind of coming into the mold and kind of figuring it out. Yeah. I mean, you understand music industry jargon. Absolutely. So we talk about a song and like how the splits are being based and stuff like that. Yes. There's a time and moment where it was like, all right, there had to be a third party institution that would kind of come in and then, all right, if this song is played in this certain type of aspect, this person is owed that. The writers owed this, the performers owed this, yeah. and the record labels own that. That's how it's supposed to work. <laughs> and it's, it's a cool way to handle it for the past um, 90 years. Right. They've been trying their best, but it's not down to the core. It's not exact. Yeah. Now with blockchain technology, what I've noticed and what I've been learning, what it's doing is like we're creating like these smart contracts, which is like an encrypted, yeah. encrypted algorithm. Whereas okay. we put this on a smart contract. There's a song that's put out to the public. Yes. From by from like artist A or artist B, and um, once that song hits the market, all right, the minute I check my bank account, mm-hmm. three hundred dollars or three thousand dollars per spin yeah. is going to go right towards my bank account. The engineer is going to get paid. The producer is right. going to get paid. 
Um, down to the core, exactly. So it's also to see how like how the industry is um evolving, and it kind of goes to the question that I wanted to throw at you because one thing I noticed with Live the Biz, you Mm -hmm. guys are pioneering uh forum and conversation. Yes, it's like what is your current scope on where the music industry is right now? Well, I think that what you just described, I think, is such a an important aspect in terms of transparency, in terms of knowing kind of where your money is coming from. So I'm always on the side of transparency and empowering people to get paid for their work. But I'm also on the side of making sure that they're getting the most they can from the consumer. Because you could have transparency in saying you made $50 in this last month. This is where it came from. But you could have made (laughs) $1,500 if there were technology available to help protect your work so that users could pay for it. And that's my issue. If nobody's paying for music, we're gonna invest so much into, I love the transactional plan of it, mm-hmm. but the reality is until we get people on board to pay for music, there's not gonna be enough to see. You're, you're gonna get all these creative statements and apps of nothing, you know? Like there could be, you could have streams that are five million in streams. Um, but because we don't have, there's, there's some, some services that has freemium model where you, you stream it for free. There's advertising based, then there's some that's subscriber based, and then there's people who want to just download and not stream and pay for it. So then people are streaming your content for free. Mm-hmm. It doesn't trickle down to you cause you only have 5% of the publishing side of the song. It's just like, it's just so weird. So, um, I, I think we need to fix all of it. Fix how people think about valuing music and think about how people are getting paid for their music. I don't feel it's going to be a system, and I'm in total agreement with you when it comes down to the consumer side of it. Absolutely. Basically, how people are going to get this content. Yes, because pay. When I spoke <laughs> about blockchain technology, I was talking about more or less the artist rights and yeah. the creative rights. I'm for it. But down yeah. to like where it hits the market in a sense, yeah. I don't feel like there's going to be one type of science that's going to say across the board, this is how you guys are going to consume your music. Yeah. There's the, going to be the freemium models. Yeah. There's going to be more or less the um, advertisement-based models. Yeah. They're going to be the first service models. Models. Are there going to be platforms that have all of that enthralled in, in, in into one into app? One, yeah. Like Purple Throne. If I, but, exactly. um, Hello. Uh, you know, on top <laughs> of that, too, um, put it this way, right? It's all about how you're going to get to point A to point B to point C and yeah. choose it. And me observing, like, the millennial generation and the uh, Generation X or Y, whatever they may call it at this time and moment, yeah. one thing I noticed with them, they love choices. Absol- absolutely. Our generation, we love um, structure. Listen. Where it's like, all right, TRL. <laughs> Making the making the music video. So now it's a store, and that's your pro, your con. Because when you had structure, we was making them way more money. <laughs> when people was going, all these CEOs, no, a lot of money's being made. Well, yeah, of course, right now, but, of course. But all these, so when you had more structure, right? It's funny. The more options that we have, is because it's almost like we have to have them because of the lack of revenue that we lost in the Michael Jackson era. All you could do was go to the store and pay for it. Whitney Houston era. All you could do, if you heard that song on the radio, all you could do was go to the store and get, you want the cassette, you want the vinyl. Those were your choices. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, the Jay-Z, the Biggie, the Tupac, Eminem from, from you know, early 2000s, your choices were to, you know, purchase a CD, cassette, if you still had one at that time, or you would have to pay for it. And so I, th- I think that's just my, my thing of like, I want it to be a system to where we figure out how we get the value back with music. Um, because the new millennium, we're, I feel like we are, or the new generation, I feel like we're almost, it's almost failed them and not be able to figure out our own mess. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so, but I guess it's twofold because when you have issues, there's more room for opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah. You so know, during the uh, yeah situations come from a problem. Absolutely. I just I just wish that we didn't have the problems that were pushed upon us. And then now we're pushing the problems on the generation. If the days were listen, if this whole MP3 streaming thing was figured out back in two thousand and five, we all would probably be in a whole different, whole different space. I feel like <laughs> it's it's two different tiers that we're measuring. So yeah. like there's industry, and then there's mankind and humans' <laughs> understandings of it. Absolutely, we're right here as humans, but the actual technology is like it's a little <laughs> bit faster than how we actually process it. To- I totally and agree with you. The totally same agree with type you. of observation, because when the whole MP3 thing took place, I was—I want to say I was a kid, but yeah. I was like a teenager in that fold we're, of we're like, kids. Li- <laughs> LimeWire, wait, right. I can get this music for free? Yeah. And we was, we was all on it. We Nap- was all on Napster, it. I mean, I know Napster since 1999. It was great until like the lawsuits hit, and then, you yeah. know, thanks to like Apple, they came in and they came with some sort of a solution yeah. where it got a little bit more structured through um, a form of hardware, yeah. which is the iPod. And I just want to make that know Although I'm like Mr. Music Industry Man now, by all means, when I was a teenager with a computer, I got my computer in 1996. Was Nap- it HP? You got a Hewlett Packard? Yeah, actually it was. It was, yeah. <laughs> Super fire, right? Only kid on my block with a computer. Napster pops up. You mean to tell me I could download these songs? It takes me. It won't take me five hours to download this one juvenile song, back that thing up? It's cool. It's free. I'm gonna wait yeah. that time. Well, yeah. Well, it would go faster when all the users was on, because then the users go down. Peer to peer. Yeah, and then it'd be like one user, like please hold on, and then you realize the song was the wrong song, <laughs> or you would try to download a music video. It'll take you like eight hours because the files were so big. I remember my first video. I think I downloaded was um, Chama Chama Thumb Thumping. <laughs> I don't even know what. No, I don't know what that it's that is. song. I can knock down, but I cannot forget. You never. Yeah, and I try to download the song. <laughs> I'm, I'm Mr. Hip Hop dude, but like I love, I love pop music. Yeah. So it took me eight hours to download that song, and it was like half the song because the user that had it kept logging on and logging off. <laughs> so don't get me wrong, I don't want to sound hypocritical. Like I, do, I do understand the infatuation of that at right, that right. time, but. Obviously, just you know, right. with foresight, I think the music business could have capitalized on that when they had it. But you know, here we are. We, we got to move to the future and, right. and, and be innovative. Talk about it again, even yeah. with because um, on our side of things, right? We've yeah. been producing these panels, yeah. which um, I know you do panels and you also do a podcast as well. Yes. Shout out to you guys. Shout out to you. But on our side of things, it's like the main thing that we want to hone on, hone on, is um, music and tech, and then also even more on a if we want to bring it down to another level, cryptocurrency. Yes. And we ran through at least like a good four to five labels that we're all familiar with. And we're not going to say no names. <laughs> well, you said four or five. So I, can Atlantic. Get, I can guess. And, um, <laughs> shout out to Atlantic. Right. Shout out to them. But um, a, few, a few people from those camps wanted to basically be on the panel. They were all gung-ho about it. Like, oh, wait, <laughs> cryptocurrency. This is amazing. You know, oh, I love it. Like, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. Yeah, that's, like, right, yeah. that's like the, um, the premier aspect of the market. Exactly. Right. The minute... The fine print came down to what um, blockchain technology and cryptocurrency represented for the artists and also the music industry, <laughs> uh, a producer and a creator, and also more or less a platform, if you want to talk about the labels. They, it's like, no, no, <laughs> this is too empowering. <laughs> I'm glad you said it. And uh, more or less the conversation changed. Yeah. And I, the only reason why I brought it to them is not because I want them or I need, like, we needed the sponsors and stuff like that on this side. We're doing pretty great on this side. <laughs> It's because we wanted to educate that platform and those people over there. Like, hey, come over to the side. Let's work out some solutions. Yeah. And it automatically was like, 
they push back. Yeah. Now it's not an illegal aspect where they're throwing legislations and right, stuff right, like right. that as what um happened with Napster and stuff. Right. But I feel like they're gonna be late to the party again. And it hurts my heart to see that, but yeah. it's like oh Oh, wow. It's even worse now with innovation because a lot of them are like, man, we missed the wave. And so now we're trying to like just get whatever we can get right now. Right. And we don't want to give up the little cr the crumbs that we have. So it's but then when you do that, you miss out on bigger opportunities. So, listen, we can't be closed minded about anything. I if agree. it's about empowering the people that you're signing, if it's about, um, you know, pushing the culture forward with the people that you're selling your products to, mm -hmm. you should. Definitely listen. I don't know the specific conversations, specific parties that you talk to, but I just think that in a general sense, we really can't be closed-minded when it right. comes to progressing. But you can, can kind of understand why the pushback could have happened? Of course. Okay. I mean, of course it is because, you know, again, sales are down. We're trying to figure out a way of, you know, monetizing streaming and because and, and, streaming seems like the frontier of the savior of the music industry. Mm -hmm. And so if we invest in any more technology or any more procedures or go away from what we know, we could be spending less time on the things that are making us the little bit of change that we are getting. So it's, it's like there's less personnel now. The companies are smaller. There's more mergers. There's less people to focus on it. Um, so if we spend our attention on something else, we may be missing out on what we already have set. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a fear of the unknown, really. I think when they had the infrastructure back in the day, it would have worked better. But again, I think use what you have now because these labels can get smaller and the A&R teams get smaller and artist development becomes non, you know, invisible. Non yeah, non-existent. Um, and so there's a lot of re outsourcing and third parties that gets, gets involved. So I honestly just think that just in general, we need to be more open-minded with technology and with the different processes we can have in the, in the community, in the, in, the, in the music industry community. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. And um, so we, we're speaking about your platform. Yeah. And um, with Live the Biz, right? Yes. So you guys um, obviously do your own panels, your own platform. Yes. Your own relationships where you, people are finding jobs and finding each other through this. Yes, I love it. What, what I guess, inspired you guys to create this whole interconnection of, like, um, uh, community? <laughs> sure. I mean, for us, it's just really about um, connecting and empowering the creative community. Mm. It's really about just giving them the tools they need to succeed. We've had so many different panels, again, on different topics like and like, you know, how to how to get signed by A&R, how to market your music in a digital space. Mm -hmm. um, we, we did an amazing music video showcase at Microsoft. I mean, I don't think they've ever done a music video showcase at Microsoft Fifth Avenue. We were playing everything um, like hip hop, trap, people from Brazil, mm -hmm. uh, rock bands, everything um, we've had, um, you know, rising music mogul seminars. Uh, we've had um, panels about film and TV, how people can place their music in those mediums. Mm -hmm. So for us, it's just really about just educating people and connecting them and them just figuring out the tools to to make their careers a success. Whether you're an artist that wants to learn more about the business side of it or you're from the business and want to learn more about the creative aspect of it. I think that's what we, we just, we're just excited about. Um, and every event is just new energy and it's positivity and it's just a pool of resources for people who just love music and just are just are inspired. And it's inspiring to me. I mean, day to day, I work with just some really high profile producers and writers at Cobalt Music. Um, I'm the client relations manager, so I deal with a lot of the the producers and writers that we sign on the publishing end, mm -hmm. um, which is phenomenal. And I also teach, too. But when you're working with these raw artists that are, you know, spending every minute thinking about 
their music and their new song that's coming out or their new album that's being released. That energy is just so like electric um, that it just keeps me going and it keeps me inspired. It reminds me of being at Sirius, <laughs> you know, having to go to Buffalo Wild Wings, getting cussed at eight different languages. <laughs> it really does because, you know, it, it, that's the beauty of the music industry. It, it changes lives. It gives you a voice to your art. It gets you through your day, your relationships, heartbreak. Um, being able to see somebody live their dream is phenomenal. Right. So um, that's why we call it Live the Biz. It's really about like, it's not something you just kind of just clock in and clock out. Like you're living this every single day. Mm -hmm. So I want to help them, you know, and they're helping me. So. So Walter, with this conversation, I mean, you touched on so many amazing topics. Yeah. And um, what I would say, what I got from this conversation is just like being in a space where you can observe the industry, yeah. you know, where you could kind of create a, uh, a fulfilling moment or like fill a need. Mm -hmm. where it's at and I think with Live the Biz you guys have definitely accomplished that thanks man we're working hard like that's my goal like I'm literally at work all day working with these producers and writers I get home I'm doing Live the Biz stuff <laughs> like my whole day is like just surrounded with music um, and panels I mean but it's worthwhile you know all the work once we do a successful event and I'll have an email saying Walter like I was going to give up singing but you know your event inspired me or, hey, Walter, I met with such and such, and they offered me an internship. Or, hey, I'm not working at BET because I met such and such two months ago. Or I run into a panelist at one of our music business networking parties. And they say, hey, man, one of the people that I met at your last event emailed me, and now they're my assistant, you know? Um, or, hey, we're working together at the Purple Throne, you know, together because we met at one of your events last year, I mean, you know? Let's talk about my producers on the show. Yeah, I like that's... Dom and Eric, I, I didn't even know. They met on your platform. Yeah, I mean, and, that, and that's so... That's such inspiring to see. Like, that proves that there's a need for it. Right. When I came to New York... So, so <laughs> I'm kind of... I, I did the shortcut version of, like, internship to, like, working in the music industry. When I graduated... You know sounds better. Yeah. When I, when <laughs> let's I, get to the nitty-gritty. Right, right. When I left my... So, basically, when the internship was over... I had to go back, obviously, finish school. Uh -huh. And I said, okay, so when I'm leaving here, I'm going to graduate and come to New York. I got all these internships. I got my degree. I'm popping. When I land in New York City, all the labels going to want to hire me. It's lit, right? You ain't know no better. I came here 2009, January. Recession time. Um, you know, Obama had just become president. So he was trying to work everything out. Um, but he was still trying to learn some, you know, learn some things because we had really messed up a lot of things before he came here. <laughs> <laughs> and it was during a recession and people weren't hiring in any facet. Labels had merged. I was going to apply to work for Sirius full time, but they had merged with XM. Mm -hmm. uh, so they had laid off half of the staff of people that I worked with at Sirius. I was applying for jobs. They were like, oh, yeah, that was cool. You, oh, you work with Warner Music? But that was yeah. in North Carolina. Oh, you worked with that? That was in Charlotte. Oh, you did a little internship? Okay, cool. But these NYU Columbia kids have been doing internships every four years, every summer. Mm -hmm. So it was literally like trying to prove yourself again. So I had a God scholarship to get my MBA at the Metropolitan College of New York, which I ended up teaching classes for. And I said, okay. So this is an accelerated program. I would basically go to school at night, mm -hmm. get my MBA um, for the full year. And so throughout the day, I was like, I need to find out what I'm going to do because I'm, I'm not getting jobs that I want. Mm -hmm. So I said, Ugh, I don't want to have to intern again, but I need to find a way to break into the industry. I need to find a way to humble myself again. I am a grad student. So let me use that to do another internship to really move and shake because I don't want to leave here. If I don't get a job by the end of this year, 
I'm at risk of having to go back home. Right. So I said, if I'm going to do an internship this time, I'm going to do two. I'm going to do two. I'm going to do throughout the whole week. So I interned at ASCAP, uh, working like the music marketing Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And then I interned at Cherry Lane, which was purchased by BMG, um, doing like the music publishing mm-hmm. side um, of it. So Tuesdays and Thursdays. So I literally, so I wasn't getting like really any money. And to translate it for our listeners, what I'm getting from yeah. is you have a, a, a very strong background in publishing. Yeah, I knew that. Before I came to New York, I said, what is the way I can kind of crack the safe? Right. Record labels. And the publishing industry didn't change through yeah. all of these situations. And that's the and that was what it was. It stayed the same. Because the record labels were merging. The record labels were failing. The record labels were um, like the system. They were just losing money. And so I was like, what, what, what is the money that artists are getting? Mm-hmm. And the majority of the money that they were receiving was from publishing, from writing, from producing. So I said, if I can, and there's not a lot of, I don't see a lot of minorities working in the music publishing space because it's such a complicated thing about like splits and, and, there's, and. There's math involved, but the key thing. It's a lot of the it. The definition of it. Because publishing, yes. I know, like most of the listeners know it's pertinent to it towards an artist's career. Right. But what it really is is the exploitation of your writing. Yes. Which is basically, um, I mean, let's not get into too many details right. as to, <laughs> you know, writing and reading and stuff like that. Yeah. But uh, it's magic. Yeah, it is. And so I was like, if I could be the guy that could break down publishing and understand it to the other artists, independent artists, that could be like my end to it. So I literally, I studied music publishing. And so I was like, let me work at ASCAP. I know ASCAP is like a leader in this chair lane, BMG, they're leaders in that. And so I worked there. So if I'm going to school at night and I'm interning for free in the daytime, I'm not really getting any money. So I'm living off of scholarship money. Mm-hmm. I stay at a residency at Columbia University because if you're an MBA student, you could apply to stay in their international house, mm-hmm. the media house. So I was teaching international students music business to stay there. And so literally like, there would be times where, like, if I needed, like, a new shirt, I couldn't, like, eat that day because I had to save that money for that shirt. That's how it was. And this went on. Um, and so until, like, maybe mid-year and opportunities opened up for me. And I, like, I, I networked with every person in that building. I was having lunch with people in different departments, vice presidents from the assistant, the intern. Like, I was like, I have to make this work. If I don't, I'm not going home. I would clean floors until I find a job in the music business. And then midway um, during my program, I got the job at Cherry Lane Music Group where I started my, my music publishing career. Um, and that's the, the publisher of Quincy Jones and John Legend and Fergie and the Black Eyed Peas at that time. I actually met Quincy Jones my first week um, hired. And, and then the next week, Michael Jackson passed away, which is crazy because Quincy Jones and Michael Jackson are two people who I want to work in the music business for so yeah and then that's gotta begin my career in new york city but even after having to rough it out for that internship that kind of prepared me for the real rough it out <laughs> when, when i when i came out yeah and ever since then it's just been networking and moving and every job that i've received in my career is built, built upon networking and meeting people and so i wish i had to live the biz if i had to live the biz when i came to new york and i could just pay $15 to meet the vice president of Atlantic Records or the senior vice president at RCA or VH1, I could have maybe could have did some things a little bit differently. Um, but I was like, you know what? Because I went through this, let me make it easier for the next generation. You don't have to pay $500 to go to, not no throwing any shots, but $500 to go to this mega music conference in Dubai, <laughs> you know, which if you have the money to do that. But you can just meet some of those same people 
and come down, go down the street, <laughs> you know, and meet these people and, and network and build relationships with them so that maybe their journey is a little bit easier than mine mm-hmm. um, and they have more opportunities to, to flourish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, Walter, I mean, in closing, sure. I mean, I think we kind of, with this conversation, we flipped it on its head. Yeah. <laughs> so usually we'll do like the whole linear thing and we switched it up a little bit. Yeah. We started off from your origins. We went to where you were at, where yeah. you're going, back and forth and yeah. stuff like that. And um, more or less like a more hidden jewel is how you came up in the publishing industry. Yeah. But in terms of like closing remarks, um, in terms of your brand and stuff like that, where sure. can we find you? Sure. So you can find me at uh, Live the Biz, L-I-V-E-T-H-E-B-I-Z. Um, Live the Biz. Um, that's everything. Facebook, uh, YouTube. We have a video music podcast where we actually showcase independent artists every week. So we'll talk about you know pop culture topics while interviewing artists. Um, shout out to my co-hosts Deshaunis and Tyra on YouTube. So yeah, that's Live the Biz. You can go to our website, Live the Dot Biz, um, and all our information is there. Um, oh, can I give a quick plug to an upcoming event? So we have an event coming on uh, May 2nd. It's called Women of Color Who Live the Biz. And we've done so many different music business panels. And this is probably the one I'm the most excited for. Um, Only because we're talking about something a a tad bit different. We're talking about the music industry, but from a cultural perspective of about really women who have kind of like, not kind of, I mean, they've really just been the forefront in the back end (laughs) of the music business. Um, And so I really wanted to have just me as being a black man had an opportunity to have a platform to highlight women of color who have been doing that thing for the longest, for decades, is important to me. Um, And so we're having it. So I'm going to have all female, black female executives. Um, We have the senior vice president of marketing from Landy Records, Deani Harper. Uh We have the head of client services at Genius. Um, which I love their website. I'm a lyric head. Um, we have, you know, the vice president of production at Revolt TV. We have, um, you know, somebody who works in original content and legal licensing for Spotify. And we have the international marketing manager for Sony Music. Um, so it's what just, date you said it was again? it's May 2nd, uh, Wednesday, May 2nd here in New York City. Uh, it's at WeWork Nomad, um, 79 Madison Avenue. We'll definitely be there. I want to be flying into yeah. flying in from Montreal the day before, but okay. I'll definitely come to that. Big event. time, so big time. Yeah, if you ain't got jet lag, jet lag, come do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Montreal yeah. is like two hours away. It's yeah, like an hour away. Yeah, that's gonna be super exciting. And yeah. then we have another event in May um, called Shuffle Play LA in Hollywood, okay. uh, May thirty first. So it's gonna be a music feedback session. So you get to play your music and get some feedback. So we're calling it like May, like May Music Madness, because we're having two events in one month on two different coasts. Um, but we're kicking it off with the women of color who live the biz. So I'm super, super excited for that. Right. Yeah. And um, once again, Walter, I want to welcome you to the Purple Room. I mean, thank you for coming on this platform. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. I, I really appreciate it. Awesome. So, I got I to gotta come back, man. I got more to talk about. Listen, we got a couple <laughs> more seasons to go. I mean, hey, we got some things lined up with some sponsors. Things are looking good. Okay. <laughs> but um, nonetheless, ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for all of our listeners, um, to all of our sponsors that helped make this happen, yeah. um, from Purple Throne, ICO Daddy, ICO Examiner. And um, this is episode 11, season one of The Purple Room with Walter J. Tucker. Peace. Thank you. This is so much fun. Thank you guys so much. Thank you.